I know, I know, it's Monday and everyone's already over it. But the Blue Bloods are here with a new episode full of college football content. And guess what, guys? College football is finally back. And that is something that we can all agree is some news that some of us never thought we would hear in the year 2020. We're going to start the episode off by breaking down the return of college football last night. But then we're going to move on to discuss whether the Big Ten is going to end up reversing their decision to postpone the 2020 season. We're then going to move on to debate which players in the Big 12 are potential breakout players for 2020. And of course, we're going to wrap this up with another recruiting update. And we're going to head to the Big Ten and analyze the Nebraska Cornhuskers 2021 recruiting class. We have a full show like always, guys. So let's go ahead and kick this off. Last night, of course, you already know, we're recording this a day early. So last night on Saturday, the moment we have all been waiting on finally came. And Austin P. Governor suited up to play the Central Arkansas Bears. And to say that it was long overdue could not be a stronger understatement. Both teams absolutely put on a show down in Montgomery, Alabama, in which both teams took the lead of the game within the final two minutes. And LaJuan Winningham got the game-winning touchdown with 34 seconds left in the game. And this upcoming Saturday, FBS Division One football finally begins with some great matchups. And, Brandon, I don't know about you. I don't think I'm going to be able to focus on a single thing all week until Thursday to Saturday. So, Brandon, how great was it to see college football being played again? And what was your biggest takeaway from this game? Oh, it was it was actually pretty cool. Uh, and I was really wondering why they were playing in Montgomery the whole time. Did you ever get word on that? Yeah, so apparently, like, these two conferences always have, like, the their opening game played in Montgomery. It's like a – it's kind of like the Chick-fil-A kickoff game always being in Atlanta. Uh, so. Like, these conferences always have, like um, – I forgot what the sponsor is, but it's something kickoff game in Montgomery. Uh, so it's just, like, much worse than, than the Montgomery kickoff game. Yeah, the it's, 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 it's like the D2 version of the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. There we go. Okay, I mean, fair enough. Uh because, I mean, both of these teams are coming off conference championships last year. So uh, so it would be like the ACC and SEC champion always oh. facing off in Atlanta. They were they were co-champs of their respective okay. conferences. Okay, Austin Peay made, uh, made the semifinals for the D2 playoffs. So these teams were pretty good in terms of D2 teams. The only reason I know who Austin P is is because they played Southern Miss in 2015. And and I, I had to look them up. I was like, who, who the heck is Austin P? They're in Tennessee. I you know, I couldn't really tell you where, but uh, yeah, I think I it's mean, Clarksville. Clarksville. If I'm not mistaken, everyone everyone cares so much. So Clarksville, Tennessee, I guess I don't really know. Um, I don't know. It 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 was funny. Did you happen to get a uh, look at the stands? They were allowing fans there, but like, did you actually see? Um, yeah. So they actually didn't sell any public tickets to this game. All the fans there were either friends or family of the football of the players, coaches, and or like alumni of that school. 
Well, to be fair, do you think anyone else would have actually gone to Austin Peay versus uh, listen, Arkansas? Listen, if it would have been the only game they sold public tickets, probably. Pro- probably. It, uh, if, if 2020 was a year, Austin P and Central Arkansas would sell out that stadium. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This game, I mean, it was fun. It was football, of course. So, I mean, I watched it. Uh, I, I think the most fun part of this game to me was right before halftime. Uh when Austin P's quarterback just had the worst pitch I've ever seen. Like he slipped and fell and central Arkansas recovered it. And then immediately they threw an interception in the end zone. Uh, that was a lot of fun for me. And that was, that just screamed Maction, except for it was somehow worse than Maction. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I, I'm, I'm so excited about football. You know, uh, I, I was kind of skeptical about this game. I was like, yeah, I, I know it's football, but it's not going to be good, and it wasn't good, but it was at least exciting. I mean, okay, so like this game was great. It was it was a great mm, great close game, and, mm. and okay, uh, it, it was a close game. How about that? And listen, I never thought we'd be covering these two teams on the podcast ever, no. but if the, it, but you know, with extenuating circumstances, we felt like it was only right to cover the first Costable game of the year. And shout out to both schools for making this happen. And everyone involved seemed to do great jobs. I mean, we even stopped a brawl at the end of the game. I mean, this thing, this game almost had everything. A fourth quarter comeback, a brawl, turnovers. I mean, it, it could have been the whole package. But I just want to say, I mean, I don't even I, – I know they mentioned it briefly on the uh, telecast, but – I don't think the story about how Austin P got here got enough attention. I mean, in 2017, they were on a 29-game losing streak, Brandon, and they right. lost their last 47 of 48 games. And last year was Austin P's first Ohio Valley Championship in over 40 years. And for them to get the spotlight for one night on ESPN in primetime, the whole country – focused on this. I mean, every national college football analyst was covering this game. And I think that meant everything for the players, the alumni, the fans. I mean, I, I thought that for a, a program like Austin P, this probably wasn't any bigger. And yeah, they lost, but I still think, I don't think any of those fans would have traded anything. Cause I mean, they still played pretty well and they had the lead up until I believe it was what, 36 seconds left. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it came down to the very end of the game. Um, I, I guess one of the major takeaways that I have, and I'm sure Zach has a lot to say about this, uh, just based on our, you know, the Blue Bloods account tweets, which if you haven't figured out by now, is just Zach. Uh, so Zach, Zach, how do you feel about, uh, about Ohio Valley and what is it like the Southland conference being able to get football yeah. together, but not the big 10. Okay. Um, listen, I, I'm just going to hold that, um, our next segment. Listen, if you've never st- like paid 100% attention to any segment, next segment we're going to have just an, an all-time attack on somebody next segment. So just I'll hold my thoughts on that um, for now at least. Okay, well, never mind that. I, uh, guess, I guess I'm I, done. <laughs> I was going to say because the Big Ten segment next is the uh, – the report came out that the Big Ten was changing, but I had to. I moved this back because I want. I wanted to spend this segment more talk about like this game, and you know, as bad as twenty twenty has been, Brandon. I mean, how fitting is it that the first play of the season is a touchdown? Oh yeah, seventy five yard touchdown too. That I mean, it was and, crazy. 
it's a 75 yard touchdown taken by a true freshman playing his first ever game in his home state. Um, um, Chris, Chris, CJ Evans Jr. committed to Austin P, but he's from Mobile, Alabama. And okay. so his first ever game is in his home state of Alabama, and he puts up a performance where he puts up 98 yards rushing, a touchdown in his first ever college football game. So I, th- I feel like this moment was huge for Evans. I mean, you go to a school in Tennessee, and what are the odds your first game is in the capital of your home state? Right. I mean, that. well, <laughs> I don't know if anyone who's from Alabama has ever been excited to go to Montgomery. Uh per se but <laughs> probably not but, but i get what you're saying um i guess that's kind of cool I, I i much rather i much would have rather done it in mobile birmingham huntsville anyway really i mean i would have gone to like greenville before i went to montgomery well i'm sure i'm sure evans would have loved to do it in mobile i mean he played for mcgill so he's probably played in lad before because i'm sure they if they they well I'm, they did play murphy i'm assuming so uh, the odds of him playing a ladder a hundred percent there, but for me, two players I felt like deserved a shout out. Um, first, the I guess the losing quarterback. Sadly, I mean Jeremiah Oatsful for Austin P. He played an outstanding game. I mean, he wasn't a big passer, but that offense is not a huge passing offense. They ran that just ridiculous looking triple option, and I, I was shocked because I didn't know either of these teams ran the triple option, but he ran it pretty well he had one costly interception but the thing with me is you could tell he was the emotional leader of the team and you love to see that from a quarterback and he had 180 yards passing about 40 yards rushing a touchdown to take to for like the go-ahead touchdown to take the lead late in the ball game and this is a team that was missing the number one wide receiver of the team and he was actually the wide receiver that was missing was ranked the best wide receiver in their conference so that's a huge loss and Jeremiah Oatsville still delivered, and I thought he had a great game and deserved a shout-out. And the other one is Kier Crossley for Central Arkansas. He was the running back. He played a great game. It was a huge part in why Central Arkansas came back in this game. They struggled early, but Crossley ended up having 110 yards rushing, averaged nine yards to carry, and had a big touchdown late in that game. And he seemed to be the reason this offense – was kept alive later in the game, even though they were struggling early. I mean, that was ugly, ugly football. But you see, you see that a lot in first games. And then I, I just want to say Breland Smith, the quarterback for Central Arkansas, he's not a thrower of the football, Brandon. I know you saw that. I think he had 20 completions on like 48 attempts or something like that. But And he struggled with accuracy and turnovers. But when the moment was the biggest and he had to make a throw, man, I don't think there was a better play than that game-winning touchdown pass, man. He floated the ball right over his wide receiver's shoulders and put it in the perfect spot. And in a moment like that, I don't think you could ask for a better throw than that from Smith. Yeah, that, that's true. It was a really pretty pass. And, um, I mean, clutch as you could possibly be, right? Uh, absolutely. And just to update, guys, we'll probably never cover these teams again, but Central Arkansas actually heads back to Alabama Thursday for their next game where they face UAB in Birmingham. And um, Austin P is off until September 12th when they head to Pittsburgh to face Pitt. And um, the last thing I wanted to say, Brandon, what did you think about the new ESPN graphics they unveiled last night? <laughs> they were um, they were, they were something. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. I, I, okay, better or worse than what they had? Uh, I prefer the old graphics. You're tri- no, come on, man. 
I look, don't really? change don't change my football. Do not change anything about my stream. Don't do anything. I want I want wow. what I had. Sorry. Hey, I, I give it an A plus, but Brandon does not. Um, but you know, I feel like we we had to cover this football game, and it's a huge moment. Um, we got some big games coming up. I believe BYU Navy plays next week as well. Uh, you know, I guess for us, Southern Miss South Alabama is going to be a game that me and Brandon will probably both watch. You know, Brandon actually went to Southern Miss. Look at you, man. Do you think they beat South Alabama? Yeah, I don't even think you, it's you hope so. You hope no, so at uh, least, right? That'd they're, be upsetting. They're, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna be. It's gonna be so bad. <laughs> South Alabama might not score. <laughs> hey, that's a good thing. But listen, we're gonna move on here. Um, you know, and we're gonna move to a huge report by Bruce Feldman of FS1 and the Athletic. He came out late late last week and. It detailed that the Big Ten is exploring options to reverse its decision to play in the spring of 2021. And they're going to start around Thanksgiving, late fall for this season. And the season could be as short as eight games. And this all comes after parents of Big Ten athletes and some Nebraska players are suing the Big Ten for their decision due to the lack of clarity and transparency that they showed. The cancellation of the season came only six days after the Big Ten released their revised 2020 conference-only schedule. And them and the Pac-12 are the only Power Five conferences to still have their seasons canceled. The Big Ten has also, according to some reports, and I know there's some national media people calling for this, have asked the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 to move their seasons back to put conferences on an equal plane. Brandon, your take on this report and do you think it should or will be changed? And do you think it that the request to the other conferences should be taken seriously? I'm going to say, okay, I'm sorry. I, that caught me so off guard when you said that last thing. Um, and that's my biggest thing is absolutely not. So you're, you're asking these other conferences who are going to, who already postponed their seasons by about a month, maybe a little bit less than a month. You're going to ask them to postpone even more just to match so it's fair for the Big Ten. No, 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 no. Zach, I, you caught me so off guard right there, and I'm mad now. I'm so mad. Well, um, you know, Brandon, you know me. Um, like, I tweet little things here and there about sports, but I've never, like, commented and, like, came at somebody. I did. I finally did. Like, the, the dude who tweeted this out, I was like, no, man, we can't have this. That's and then, this. And then he came back and called SEC fans out. And I was Why? like, this dude wants all the smoke because you don't want to piss off SEC fans. Ask Max Kellerman about that. But he's saying that SEC fans would rather have an asterisk next to their national championship than have to beat Ohio State. And I'm like, the SEC has had no problem beating Ohio State. No. You know who else I hasn't mean, had a problem beating Ohio State? Iowa, Purdue. Like, right. come on, man. Like, it. you know, it's crazy to me. And. I I don't under, so the asterisk next to the Big Ten Pac-12 championship in the spring is going to be a lot bigger than the asterisk next to this fall championship. Absolutely, it absolutely will be. Wow, that makes me mad. Yeah. Actually, it, it it that report really really pissed me off, and that's kind of I wasn't sure if I was going to include this in here just because it's a initial report, but I had to with all this stuff coming out. I'm like, man, where are people getting off saying that anybody should have to accommodate the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, 
the season was going to go on without the Big Ten. Like, it was – like, no one even really – I mean, I know we blinked. I know we talked about it. But, like, how worried were you actually that the Big Ten wasn't playing this season? Uh, not at, not even the slightest. I was kind of upset that Micah Parsons and Justin Fields weren't going to play. But Micah Parsons isn't going to play anyway. Right. And, you know, listen, Brandon Brandon has made a couple companies and a couple people enemies of the Blue Bloods. But Uh-oh. I'm making an executive decision and announcing a new public enemy number one, and that's Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner. I am so tired of this guy that this segment might sound a bit personal, but I just really, really hate when people try to act like they're better than others for a decision. But then once that decision comes back to bite them in the you-know-what, they don't admit that they were wrong. Right. I mean, you know, and Brandon, this comes back to your question earlier. I posted on Twitter last night, you know, I wholeheartedly believe this is to be the case, but how did Austin P and Central Arkansas manage to have a season, but the Big Ten felt like they didn't have the means to put it on? It, it makes no sense. It, Do you know what the revenue was for Austin P last year, Brandon? Like negative $600,000? No, just for football, just for football. Um $1.9 million. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Do you know what Rutgers' revenue was? Who is buff? Okay, I took Rutgers because it can't get any worse. They might be the worst D1 program in the entire history of everything. Well, that's kind of mean, but okay. Uh, Rutgers made $12 million in revenue in 2018. Oh, wow. Okay. Ohio State made almost 60 last year. Right. So you're telling me that you have schools making sixty to twelve million dollars a season just for football in a school that doesn't even make two million dollars in revenue can can protect their players and get this done? So you're making ten million dollars less than your worst team, and they can find the money to protect student athletes. They can find the money to have tests. They can have the money to put the athletes in some sort of a bubble, but. The Big Ten can't. That makes zero sense to me. And if Kevin Warren is still employed next year in 2021, I'm going to be floored because, Brandon, I have not seen a commissioner handle a situation worse. And these situations aren't like the, the I guess the topic isn't comparable, but the handling of the situation is just as bad as Roger Goodell in the NFL handling the Ray Rice case. I mean, what a... What a take. Um. <laughs> no, okay, okay. So what they, so the way they're comparable is Roger Goodell made a decision without seeing all the evidence, right? Right. Well, then when all the evidence came out, instead of backing up and saying, hey, I was wrong, he just kind of stuck to it. And I feel like you could do this with any of Roger Goodell's decisions. You could do it with the Tom Brady situation. You could do it with a lot of Roger Goodell situations. But they didn't have all the facts, Brandon. Are, are right. you like? And I want to ask you, how much safer is it going to be on in I guess November twenty eighth than it would be on September twenty sixth, which is the SEC start date? No, not much. <laughs> like, uh, is, the heart, is, the, is, is the heart conditioning that you were so concerned about a few weeks ago going to go away? Probably not. Is there going to be a vaccine? Every single report out there by every single scientist says probably not. And the lack of transparency that the Big Ten has utilized here is absolutely outrageous. And that's the whole problem. If you would have came out and canceled the season and said, here are the facts, these are proven, this is what we base our decision on, and it was irrefutable, then I got you. 
But instead, you aren't answering anyone's questions. You are just basing this off of claims that you're keeping behind closed doors, which really makes me question, do you believe your own claims? Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's a very logical take, yeah. Uh, you know, and listen, I will gladly, absolutely walk anything back I said today. If the Big Ten and Kevin Warren release what they used to make these decisions and it supports a delayed or canceled season, but it's not going to happen, Brandon. And you know it's not going to happen. Anyone listening knows it's not going to happen because they're going to stick to their guns here. And, you know, I want to move to what I asked you about the ACC and all these other conferences having to accommodate the Big Ten and probably the Pac-12. You know, I keep targeting the Big Ten. The Pac-12 said we're canceling because we are too we're, – we're too – crappy of a conference to make our own decisions so we just went with the big 10 so if the big yeah. 10 reinstates their season the pac 12 is going to reinstate theirs and that's how that's going to go do you think so because i think theirs had a lot to do with like all the players issues like all the players rights issues uh, well that's a whole different conversation and if well, that's well, like actually the reason it happened then the big the pac 12 has got even more problems than this oh absolutely that's what i'm saying i mean i i, I think that the and i think the pac 12 i mean that that is i mean that's a crazy reason to postpone, um, but it, it's a big problem, obviously. <laughs> so I don't know, man. It, it makes more sense that they would postpone the season for that to try to sort that out rather than the Big Ten just doing it because they saw the Pac-12. Because they wanted it. to. Yeah, because they wanted to. I mean, and listen, I'm going to be so disappointed if this is the case. If these conferences give in and postpone the season even longer – it, it, it pisses me off because the Big Ten is the sole reason that we're in the spot in the first place. Yeah. If they would have just done what the SEC, ACC, and all of them did where it was sit and wait, they would be practicing about to kick off in a week or two. Yeah, they would. But the thing that makes me so mad is, and why I don't think this is going to happen, is the all the Power 5 conferences and decision makers came together and the SEC in these conferences said they agreed to sit and wait it out and make a unified decision. And then the Big Ten pulls the rug out from under them twice. They, yeah. they were the first ones to announce the conference schedule. Secondly, then they were the first one to cancel the season or postpone it, whatever you want to say. So they wanted to virtue signal and be first when now the evidence is saying, hey, this can be done. If Austin P and Central Arkansas can get this done, why can't Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, Nebraska? Yeah, and, you know, I, I will say that I guess somewhat, you know, to argue against that kind of, we still haven't seen, like, results from after that game. Like, we don't know how well they've taken, like, they've protected their athletes, right? And I'm not saying this is where I'm standing. I'm just saying, like, you know, there's someone who's probably out there, like, screaming this into the podcast right now. Oh, well, I mean, I'm sure there is. But listen, I've never said there isn't going to be positive tests. Zach is willing to sacrifice a few people to, to make no, this I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, hang on. So are you telling me that if if we don't play and players go home, there's going to be zero positive tests on any player? No, we, we've had this discussion, no. Yeah, and it's like, yes, there's going to be positive tests. And until we send students home for good, which UNC made the smart move and did, which I believe Notre Dame did too, send these students home and just put these players in a bubble and it will all be okay. LSU had an outbreak and had to cancel a few practices. Auburn had an outbreak this week and had to cancel a few practices. But guess what? They're getting the best health care in the world that these kids can get. And they're going to be okay. And guess what? Auburn's going to boot up practice tomorrow. Yeah. 
I, it's it's okay if people get it, but it's the treatment. It's making sure every all the steps are taken to prevent people getting it pointlessly, and it it just it makes me so mad to see this because. It, they're saying like, oh, do you see that they there a few players got it? And it's like, yeah, do you know how many players would get it if you just let them go home? Right. No, I mean you're you're absolutely right. And, you know, this whole thing, like I kind of jumped on you earlier, but the fans don't want a unified national championship without an asterisk. It's like, yes, I would love to see an equal playing field where all the conferences get a chance to play for the national championship. But the Big Ten was the one that messed up. So why don't they get their their stuff together and, <laughs> and and kick off September 26th like everybody else or you know what even do October 3rd yeah and that and then then move the bye weeks around so you can finish with enough time to get into the playoffs you know why do why does the people who did the correct thing have to change for the one person who was an idiot that's just it blows my mind and like i already said the asterisk for a spring national championship is going to be a lot bigger so i'll take the small asterisk next to the fall championship over the spring and listen kevin warren has a chance to fix this it is august 30th as we're recording you can get this together but asking conferences who you already screwed over to accommodate you is not the way to go he has to step up and admit that he was wrong and he needs to make the changes to make this right now and that because that's what a leader does and he was voted into a leadership position and nothing he has done has shown that he's a good leader and if i'm the big 10 i'm looking for new i'm looking for a new head guy because i don't think kevin warren's ever going to be able to swallow this right now and and this just follows the controversy of whether or not they had a vote whether who who was voting on this issue i mean it's just it's it's a bad well, look for Kevin Warren. Well, did did you read the statement from the um from the players and parents who are suing the Big Ten? No, I guess not. No. The the statement says this, guys. It says even though its decision, its being the Big Ten, significantly and directly affected the rights and opportunities of the student athletes, the Big Ten has rejected calls for transparency and refuses to to provide documents supporting its claim that a vote took place and that proper procedure was followed. Yeah. That's, that's a tough look. That's tough. And these are parents, man. And, and like players, and you don't think they are going to have a say in recruiting. And, no, they, they and, really and like, are. yeah. And when they go to the NFL, do you think they're going to claim like, Oh, I can't, I was a big 10 athlete and, and all that. Like you're losing support from all sides here. And, you know, the Big Ten likes to th- likes to claim. I, I, the big debate is who's the best conference in college football, and the Big Ten always claims that it's over the SEC and other conferences. The Big Ten is the Big Ten stock is dropping fast, right? And yeah, if you, it really it, is. And doing this is putting teams like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Minnesota, now Wisconsin, who have been successful, you're putting them in a position where. I mean, we've covered Ohio State's recruiting class, Brandon. It's number one in the country right now. You don't think Nick Saban's on the phone right now with every single recruit in that class that he wants saying, hey, if you can come down here, we'll actually care about you. This is what we're doing to protect our players. Ohio State sent their players home to be in a dangerous situation. You don't think that's being said right now by every coach in the country? No, it is. It's And if I was a parent, man, if I was a parent – There'd be no way I would let my kid go to a school under the direction of Kevin Warren. 
uh, not even a chance. Like, come on, man. That's it's just so ignorant. And listen, if, if I think the whole thing uh, we've covered, kind of covered it before is the players aren't saying that, like, hey, put us in danger. It's saying just give us the choice. Let the option to play be there for the players that want to risk it and the players that don't just opt out. That's all good. Right. Not you will never hear me and Brandon criticize a player for opting out. Heck, Brandon's personal stake was in today when Jamar Chase opted out. And Brandon, I bet I bet money that you are like, hey, that's the best decision for him. He doesn't want to play. That's cool. It is. Am I hurt? Yes. Am I am I disappointed? A little, but I get it. I mean, he's looking out for himself. He's looking out for his future. It sucks as an LSU fan, but I mean, at some point, I have to realize that it's a selfish reason why I think it sucks. So, uh, yeah. good on him. And uh, <laughs> man, I've been through the stages of grief like six times today. But that's a and different conversation. An- another big loss for college football. Kenneth Gainwell also opted out for Memphis, the running back. Uh, we talked about him a few times on the podcast. He's a monster. He is out of the season. He also opted out. That's a huge loss for Memphis, but that's a huge open door for Cincinnati though. Um, But we're going to go ahead and move on. Speaking about players, we're going to talk breakout players right now. And we started a new segment last episode, simply called breakout players. Yeah, I know we suck at creativity, but guess what? We are straightforward to the point here. We're going to go through each conference, including some of the group of fives, and cover some players that Brandon and I think are the best candidates for being breakout players of the year. We're going to move to the Big 12 today, which I guess in my opinion is more stacked than ever in terms of talent. So Brandon, who is your first choice here for a breakout player in the Big 12? Man, am I hoping this kid's going to be a breakout player? Yes. Um, Am I confident that he will be? Not necessarily, but I want to see Zachary Evans do really well at TCU. Um, obviously, if you've listened to any episode of this podcast, there's like a 50% chance you've heard of this kid because that's all we that's all we talked about for like what like half uh, like half the off season. We talked about Zachary yeah. Evans. Yeah, I must so. say, yeah, in his in his commitment, decommitment, um, uh, I guess potential reclassification, um, missing national letter, <laughs> national intent letter. I mean, it, it was a it was a whole series here on the Blue Bloods. Yeah. So now he's at TCU. Um, I haven't heard a whole lot about him during this during the time that he's uh, that he's signed and gotten to Fort Worth. Um, appar- apparently, he has not won the starting job, and like he hasn't even been getting first team reps yet. Yeah. Well. Well, I mean, you're going to get a lot of looks this season, especially. I, I think second teamers are going to get a lot of looks, even you know, even if he's not uh, the starter. There's still potential uh, that he can have a breakout season. That's me covering myself, by the way, right there. Uh, so uh, take notes, guys. If you ever need to cover yourself, that's that's what you need to do. <laughs> hey, I like the pick. Um, I guess my first one is, um, I, I guess it's one that. I don't know. Like it's so hard. Cause like, I think he's going to break out more this year. And like, he technically did really, really well last year, but like still no one gives him any respect. That's Josh Youngblood of Kansas state. He's a wide receiver kick returner. Um, I believe we talked about him a little bit during the season last year, but he was the big 12 special teams player of the year as a true freshman, Brandon, and appeared on multiple all American teams and, you know, it limited his offensive contribution being a true freshman. But, um, you know, I talked about this kid a little bit yesterday when I was on Coach Couch Live. Um, but he reminds me of like a young Devin Hester, Brandon. 
Okay. And I know that's a huge comparison, but he has the ability to take any kickoff back. And I'd never thought I'd have a special teams player here who strictly is on here because of his special teams. But Brandon last year, 14 kickoff returns for 502 yards, which is a 36 yard average per return. And he returned three kickoffs for touchdowns last year. That's crazy. So number one in the conference in return yards, second in the NCAA in returns per uh, yards per return, and number one in the NCAA in kickoff return touchdowns. And Brandon, he already ranks seventh in Big 12 history in kickoff returns. That's wild. Wait, what's, That's his, what's ins- his classification? What is he? It, he's it, Last year was his true freshman season. Right. So he's a sophomore this year. That's crazy. That's, it, That's just insane. insane. And, you know, Kansas State's loaded at the wide receiver position, so I don't see him getting a lot of looks at wide receiver. But I don't see why you wouldn't have this kid in the screen game, the, you know, the jet sweep game. I mean, this kid's this explosive with the ball. Get him more involved. And I think he's going to take over the punt the punt return position too, which should just only add to his value. But, you know, I expect teams to be kicking away, squibbing, or just kicking out of bounds. I'd rather take that penalty and let Josh Youngblood take it back on me. But they can't keep it away from ever for forever, and I expect him to have a better season next year. Brandon, he needs four more kick returns to pass Justin Gilbert for the for the number one spot in Big Twelve history, and he needs five more kickoff returns to to pass. Um, I, I believe there's four players tied at number one in instant play history. That's wild. so he only needs a handful, and he's and this kid's not a three and done type player. So he has three more years to get five kick returns and he got three in his first year. So I'm betting on this kid could lead and he's already passed Devin Hester and kick returns. I mean, so, that's absolutely bananas. If, and got Devin Hester's just, he, he was the guy when Zach and I were growing up. And so yes. that is, that is high praise coming and, from someone. It, it, it's funny. He even has like the, like uh, the short dreads, like Devin Hester too. Like I'm like, man, this kid, this kid knows what's up. And listen, I, <laughs> You know, I, I I I don't talk special teams a lot, but listen, if you catch a K State game, this kid's one to keep an eye on. And so, Brandon, my first breakout player right here is Josh Youngblood. Gotcha. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and move over to the other side of the ball real quick, um, and I'm going to look at a defensive player that really impressed me last season in, in his limited playing time, um, and one that's getting, I mean, pretty high praise this off season. So it's kind of a it's kind of a cheat for me picking this guy, but. Uh, Trace Ford at Oklahoma State. He's a defensive end, and I mean everything I've heard about this kid. Have you read anything about him so far this offseason, Zach? Yeah, he's a monster. He is <laughs> honestly a monster. I'm so excited to see him play this season. So he only played in 11 games this past season. I think he had what was it? it was like 20 tackles, three sacks, um, and interception as a defensive end. So that's kind of cool. Um, I don't know, man. He. he uh, He's he's huge. I mean, he's 6'4", 247. Um, and I like this because when you think about Oklahoma State, you, I mean, you think about Chuba Hubbard, right? I mean, you think about the offensive side of the ball. But to move over to the defensive side of the ball, I mean, this kid could – I mean, he has a legitimate chance to to uh, show up during award season this year. Uh, I, I believe last season – I agree. Season, I, a thousand, like, a, I thousand percent agree. I think he was like uh, – I can't remember what, what it was. He um, – uh, I think it was some kind of award the Big 12 gives out for like newcomer of the year or something like that. Um, 
I, I, I honestly can't remember, but he, he, I think, I believe he won two awards last season, but I think they were like smaller things like conference or team wide. Um, but yeah, man, I, I think especially in this in this Big Twelve conference where defense isn't highlighted a whole lot, and we don't see a ton of. I mean, there's obviously a lot of defensive talent, but like if you compare it to the SEC or Big Ten, I mean, the talent doesn't really compare in a lot of in a lot of spaces. But there are these players that when they are really good, they stand out a lot. So I think this kid uh, has has a, even a more elevated chance to become a breakout player this season because of that. I agree. And, you know, I'm going to go out of order here. So I cheated also. So I have four defensive players, but two are grouped together because of a reason I'll get to in a second. But I'll skip down. I have Colby Harville Peel out of Oklahoma State as well. And he's a safety for Oklahoma State. So another defensive player, Brandon, he was a first team all Big 12 selection last year, which kind of like he was my like cheat code here at this at, at during the segment, too. I mean, he's already an all all uh, Big 12 selection. He also is the defensive leader for Oklahoma State in which he won the team MVP award last year. Right. So that's that's a huge honor there. But he had more combined interceptions and pass passes defended than any other safety in the country last year, Brandon. That's we ranked wild. first in those categories. He had 71 total tackles, three for loss, a sack, five interceptions, 13 passes broken up. This kid's a ball hawk in the secondary and Listen, he has a guy next to him that's also really good. And Oklahoma State probably has the best safety duo in the Big 12. And Colby Harville-Peel is the guy to keep your eye on because he could make a run at the Thorpe Award if everything goes right for him. Yeah, he definitely could. And, you know, I'll go ahead and take my third one, Brandon, uh, before I get to the package deal at the end of this. But I have a guy who I know that your guy, Dave Aranda, is going to love. Oh, don't take him. This is, oh, my third one. Is it Kalen Barnes? Oh, Kalen Barnes was in my package deal. We'll, okay. we'll just skip down because okay. I have Riley Texica and Kalen Barnes as a package breakout because they are going to be one of the best cornerback duos in the country. But, Brandon, I'll let you go ahead and take Barnes for me. Oh, my gosh, this kid. So, I – Honestly, if if you've listened to me on this podcast ever, you know I'm not a big defensive guy, but this guy, he's the guy I'm most excited about. Um, I who's the other cornerback? Who or is it a cornerback in this duo for you? Yeah, yeah Riley Texica. He's the other cornerback oh, okay. in this yeah, duo. So they they both play the boundary corner in this defense. Right. Um, I don't know, man. This kid is just. It's it's crazy that he's a cornerback because he could he could definitely be put back at like free safety or maybe even strong safety. Well, well, he played wide receiver and they moved him to the defensive side of the ball for the first time in his career last year. Right. Okay. That's well. That's uh, now now I'm seeing that I'm seeing that. Uh, huh. <laughs> that's wild. But, that's um, he's so athletic, man. He can make plays. Yeah, and he understands the offense, which is always a plus. Um, last season, he played in all 14 games. He had 22 tackles, a forced fumble, an interception. And more. most importantly, I, I think the most important stat here is that he had five pass breakups. Um, I mean, this kid, it, 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 it's hard to talk about kids when what they have are the intangibles, and that's exactly what I, I think that he has. Um, I don't know. You, you have to go watch this kid play if you haven't. Uh, he's something special. And you when you bring Dave Aranda to the table for him, well, I mean, maybe – I mean, Zach, is it fair to say, if not the best, he's like a top three defensive mind in college football? I, I would say second behind um, uh, Brett, Brent Venables. 
Right. And, and so, I, I mean, this just that duo, the, the Dave Aranda, Kalen Barnes duo is going to be deadly. But then you go ahead and add Zach. Why don't you tell us why the other kid is going to be just as deadly for this defense? Um, well, he allowed only four catches on 26 deep targets last year, Brandon, and made plays either break up or interception on 10 more of those. Yeah, see, that's wild. That's Which, insane. It limits what the defense can throw. And for Barnes' first ever season, he he graded out at almost an 80% according to Pro Football Focus in his first ever year playing DB. So that's, that's huge for Barnes. And Brandon, the reason I picked them, the speed of these guys is unreal. Track speed on both of these. Brandon, Texas. Well, Kalen te- Barnes runs track, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, they both do. And well, okay. uh, at least they both did in high school, but I think Barnes still does at Baylor. But Texaco was clocked at a 4 4 last year, Brandon. That's and wild. Barnes has the Texas state record in the 100 meter with, with a 10.22 in that, in that event. And if you do the comparison, it doesn't have a Tom 40. If you uh, compare the 100 meter to the 40, that's about a 4 3 to 4 2 40 for Kalen Barnes. You can't, you can't compare it to the forty, though. But yeah, yes, yes, you can. Like, because well, you this can't. You, distance, to... you could do an equation, dude. Yeah, okay, it's but an that... easy thing. It's no, distance no, no. and speed. And so, if you, in the what? 40... <laughs> no, there, there, there are converters where you can where if a kid runs any event, you can like put in the other event, and there's an equation, and you can calculate what he runs. Dude, it's that a, is absolutely bananas because how does that even account for this kid getting up to more speed once he passes that 40 yards oh exactly that's what i'm saying like if if he just ran the same speed in the 100 meter it would be a 4 3 40 brandon i'm very anti-science for anyone listening apparently good lord but when you're in the big 12 which is known for passing you have two corners that run sub four five forties I mean, it's, it's just unstoppable. insane. And they both can make plays on the ball. Kalen Barnes is a true breakout player. And Riley Texaco kind of broke out last year, but more people are going to know him. And he could be one of the best corners in the country. And, you know, to wrap this segment up, I have another Baylor player. And, you know, this apparently this became a Baylor breakout segment. But Baylor has a lot of good young talent, man. And Dave Aranda is bringing a lot of excitement to this program. And mine is Terrell Bernard. Right, linebacker for Baylor. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge defensive fan, more so than Brandon. Brandon loves that offensive side of the ball, but I had to include this kid because I don't think there's a better playmaking linebacker in this conference outside of Bernard. Brandon yeah. last year, 110 tackles, nine and a half for loss, four and a half sacks, an interception, and three fumble recoveries. That's crazy. Okay, he ranked first in the Big Twelve in assisted tackles, second in total tackles. And Brandon, he ranked third in the entire country in the number of plays where he was the first defender to get to the ball carrier. I mean, that's nuts. That's such an advanced stat. I didn't even know we had that, but I found that. Um, And that just shows how fast and how good he is at reading the defenses. And for me, Brandon, he now has the greatest defense, one of the greatest defensive minds in the country in Dave Aranda running the program, which only should make him even better. So basically, and this Baylor defense is just going to be outrageous. Yeah, okay, outrageous. And there's a DN. Oh man, I'm blanking on his name. Hang on, I'm finding this DN because th- there's a DN they also have. I believe he was a transfer. 
um, that is just on a different level. But let's see. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, Bra- William Bradley King transferred from Arkansas State, and he's coming off a 14-sack season, Brandon. Okay. And he earned the third-best pass rush grade in the entire country by Pro Football Focus. That's wild. So they have him, they have both the f- sub 4-4 four, four cornerbacks, and they have probably the best linebacker in, in the Big 12. Okay. And watching film of this Bernard kid, man, he reminds me he reminds me of a bigger, more physical Devin White, who also who came out of LSU as a linebacker, and he's a sideline-to-sideline defender, and he's going to make a huge impact. Brandon, Bernard already has a potential first-round NFL pick grade, but no one knows about him. Yeah, that is crazy. So I think in Aranda's defense, man, he is going to eat. And really and truly, if you're a guy that good, uh, and if you have marginal talent, Dave Aranda is so good at scheming that you're going to make a way bigger impact than you could under any other coach outside of Venables. Oh, absolutely. He's that good, man. But listen, we're going to go ahead, move on here, guys. Last segment of the day. And it's the recruiting update. We always end with an exclusive Blue Bloods recruiting update. Check out all our recent episodes um, of to find your favorite team. We've covered a bunch of these now. But we're going to move back to the Big Ten today. We're going to analyze the Nebraska Cornhuskers 2021 class. They're trying to follow a top 20 class last season. And head coach Scott Frost is trying to find that same magic he found at UCF a few years back. This class is already headlined by five top 500 recruits. But the Cornhuskers do have some spots to fill, so it could further improve. Brandon, your take on this class, and how much longer do you give Frost to rebuild this program before you move on? It has to be quick, right? Because Scott Frost has gone from UCF um, to this Cornhuskers program, and what has he really done since he's been there? You know, it's it's been game after game where they're sitting here getting dominated, and I'm honestly not like super impressed i want to say uh so far with with what he's done i mean last year i understand they finished 20th um they finished with uh they finished number four overall in the big 10 but i mean that came with only five four-star recruits and for nebraska that's not a number's not like super impressive is it Uh, i mean not not great at least (laughs) for, for nebraska for like a true blue blood program, you're telling me that Nebraska can't can't have any more than than five uh, four star commits. I mean, I agree. I, they should be doing better. And I'm going to break. And, I'm going. I have a recruit that they should have got listed here, out of their own state, the number one ranked player in their own state, where they have no competition. Went to a went to a division rival. And so far this year, I mean, they they have 17 commits. Last year they had 20. Uh, they had 20 scholarship players this last season. Um, uh, or, or going in, I guess they had more than twenty on the team. They had twenty in their recruiting class this year. They have seventeen so far. Uh, four, three of these are four star recruits, and the rest of them are three stars. Which, uh, you know, I've mentioned before. You know, if, if you're a three star recruit, that's not bad by any means. But if you're Nebraska, you should have you should have you should have higher touted recruits. And and if these kids are truly like super talented. Um, and they're underrated or for whatever reason, then I, I'll go ahead and apologize now. But, man, you you got you to gotta step this up, right? Uh, if you're Nebraska, I, I mean, Scott Frost, they brought him in here because of his success at UCF. And 
I mean, even his success recruiting at UCF and developing players after that in Nebraska, he just hasn't done the same thing. And, and I get it. Nebraska hasn't been super successful recently. So I, I guess that turns recruits away, but you have to bring something else to the table and you, you have to do something because if you have 17 commits right now and 14 of those are three stars, how much space does that leave for more four stars? How much does that leave? How much space does that leave for any five stars? I mean, and if it wasn't Nebraska, and if it if it wasn't a team that we considered like a true blue blood, the story would be totally different. But I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I give it. I give that to you. I mean, the one thing I do want to say is Scott Frost is doing a great job in the South, which is not a huge surprise because he should have that pipeline built down there from when he was at UCF down in Florida. He's recorded. He's recruiting really well in Georgia, Mississippi, Florida, which is not a huge surprise to me, but. They've done an okay job recruiting their own state, but losing the number one player in that state is tough to swallow for me. Um, You know, they got the number two player. They got four through six all committed. But the number one player in the class, Dickerson, is elite. He's a DB. He's committed to Minnesota. We covered Minnesota on a recent episode. This kid is really, really good, has NFL potential. And why did Nebraska not land him? And I know this might sound like I'm being very, very critical, but you can't lose the top recruit in your state to a conference rival. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. And I, Minnesota's on the up and up. Totally understand. But uh, it's Minnesota at, at the same time. And you lost him? Oh, yeah, it's nuts. It's it's crazy, man. I mean, uh, just uh, I'm just mind blown at this class. But listen, we'll, we'll stop being critical. The top recruit in this class, Thomas Fedone, 92nd overall, number two tight end, and number one player in the state of Iowa. And listen, we've been real, real critical here of Nebraska. This kid's an absolute steal. He um, had offers from Iowa, LSU, Auburn, Alabama, and somehow Nebraska still landed him. Brandon, I know that you probably know about a little bit a little bit about this kid because LSU recruited this kid really, really hard, and him and Arik Gilbert lined up next to each other would have been an outrageous combo. It's Eric, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, my bad, my bad. You know, um, I gotta work on. I gotta get like hooked on. It's not phonics, but just like names. I gotta do something <laughs> here. But you know, this kid possesses just outstanding size and he can play all across the different formations, make plays at all levels of the field. He's six, five two twenty five, and he knows how to use his size perfectly in going after the ball. He can high point it very, very well. And he has elite route running skills and it makes him a mismatch no matter who you put on him last right. season, 39 catches over 500 yards and seven touchdowns. And Brandon, in his first game this year, which was Friday, he caught a beautiful 41-yard touchdown pass where he just caught it right over the middle, and they didn't even stand a chance. And things that stand out to me about this kid is he's so good, but he plays a 1,000% every play. And this past Friday, I was watching some of the highlights, reading about it. He, he recovered a fumble 60 yards down the field somehow when he was just blocking. So the kid is never giving up and he caught a DB from behind who was about to take an interception back for a touchdown. So hustle plays like that are really what set these talented players apart from some of the players who are bust at this level. 
And his versatility, his versatility, athleticism combined with his size is why he's so highly rated. I'd like to see a bit more weight added, a little bit. I need to see some growth and blocking, but in terms of pass catching and fitting outside in the slot, all that, he's great. His pro comparison, Brandon, is Zach Ertz, who's a pro was, bowler slash Super Bowl champion. I was about to ask if you saw that. That's wild. He, so he's got Zach Ertz. This kid has some hands on him too, and not only that, but his footwork yes. is immaculate. I mean, it's beautiful. It looks like it looks like the footwork that a that a wide receiver has, and he's he's sitting here at tight end because he's huge. He's six five, two twenty five in high school, <laughs> like, and that's that that's as of last year. That's as of his junior year of high school. So this kid might be bigger now. Oh man, it's, I you know uh, I'm this kid's elite, and I think. Nebraska's gonna love having this kid on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, if he's if he's even half of what Zach Ertz is, this is a huge, huge steal for Nebraska. And Brandon, I mean, two four seven's much higher on him than like the composite is. I mean, he, he's a top fifty player. Yeah, two four seven gave him number thirty seven nationally. Number that's one tight crazy. End. Yeah, but he's number. So two that's in how good this kid is in ninety two in. Uh, composite overall it's probably it's probably espn but that's a whole nother conversation they should have stopped taking espn into account they don't know what they're talking about over there but listen another top prospect that caught my eye was randolph kapa 251st national 16th outside linebacker who's the number one player in south dakota so apparently they're landing all these other number one players in these states but their own but this kid exudes athleticism and physicality, and it makes him such an exciting prospect to watch on film. And I think he's going to be a key defender in Frost's defensive system the next three to four years. He's 6'3". That's a great frame for an outside linebacker. But he has to add more weight, Brandon. He's only about 185, and you know in the Big Ten you're going to have to be more than 185. And listen, the thing that sticks out on film, Brandon, I don't know if you watched this kid's film or not. He plays at a million percent every play, and he plays like he's angry with everybody. Like, he he's hitting players like they like stole from him the night before. It is outrageous, and I love to see that in linebackers. I want them to be just nasty. I want them to go out there to try to hurt somebody, and he was productive last season. He had 63 tackles, 12 and a half for loss, three sacks, two fumble recoveries. And I think he's going to make a run at a hundred tackles this year. And I want to see him use that speed and athleticism to improve in coverage. He has the athleticism to drop back. I think he could be a three-year starter at Nebraska and develop into a late, late round draft pick, probably sixth, seventh. But I think he could be a very, very productive player for the Cornhuskers in the near future. Let's go. Clippers just won. Sorry. That, that's, that's the side note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. That's, that's round two. That's something the Clippers don't see very often. So that's, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I mean, he's, he's a very talented player. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing I will say is how hard can it be to be the number one player in the state of South Dakota? You know? uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the kid's still really, really good, though. Uh, I mean, I watched I watched this film, and I, I really, really like him. He is good. He's very good. Uh, I just had to take a stab at that real quick. It's um, fine. It's fine. Hey, I mean, apparently the Dakotas are getting some love. They had that, uh, what, those two North Dakota teams played on ESPN, I believe, today, right? Or was it they- yesterday? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if they're playing high school football on a on a Sunday, man. That's that's wild, but that's <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's something else. I mean, I'm gonna watch it if it's on. Um, now that well, I guess there's basketball on too. I don't know. I'll watch something. 
I'm going to say you're going to watch the Jazz and what, Nuggets tonight? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, I might do that. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and move on to my underrated player here. Uh, and my underrated player is a kid who falls outside of the top 1,000. He's ranked 1,312th nationally. Um, he's, a, he's a safety out of Omaha, Nebraska. So, I mean, this is just a trip up the road for this kid to go to school. Uh, it's Kobe Bretz. Um, he's a six foot two safety, <laughs> which is, first of all, bananas. Safeties are usually right around six feet, maybe a little bit shorter. Um, they have smaller frames a lot of the time. I mean, they, they have a lot of, they pack a lot of weight onto that frame, but they're usually not like super tall at this kid. Uh, not the six two super tall. It's super tall for me because I'm like five nine, but, uh, I don't know. It was just a good look. And so I started watching this kid's film. That was the first thing that stood out to me. Um, 6'2", 185. And I started watching his film. I mean, he's cracking down on players, I mean, in the box, which is crazy for – I mean, I guess he is a strong safety, so that's – it's not super crazy, but he's doing that. I mean, he can make the big plays when it counts. He plays like a linebacker, which is so, like one of the first things I noticed about him. But, I mean, then obviously he's a safety, so he can drop back into coverage, and he's making big plays when he needs to. Uh, in high school, he played both sides of the ball. Um and so if Nebraska needs a receiver, this kid might be the answer as well. I mean, he burns kids off the line all the time from his film. Uh, I don't know, man. It, it just He seems like a very good two-dimensional player, and I don't know why he wasn't classified as an athlete, honestly, because, he, I mean, he's that good at both positions. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I saw this kid's film. I liked him, but, uh, you know, so I usually try to, like, go down and start looking at prospects one by one and like just try to compare them. And there's one kid, once I got to him, it was a wrap. And so, um, you know, he's not as lowly ranked as some of my other prospects is, but he is outside the top 400. And oh, it's such a, a cheat. I mean, he's 444th overall. Yeah, but he's like Nebraska's fifth overall player. <laughs> okay. This kid, okay. Has the potential Brandon. And I know this, I say this a lot. This kid, this kid's better than Auburn's top fifty recruit. They have swag. No, I'm telling you, he is better. He deserves that rating over that kid from Blunt. But I got Patrick Payton here. He's the 27th rated outside linebacker who's going to end up being a DN. But he's the best defensive player in this class for Nebraska, in my opinion. He transferred to Miami Northwestern for his senior year after playing three years at Miami High. Brandon, last year he was an 8A to 5A All-Dade County first-team All-American and was named a top performer by 247 Sports at the Legends All-Junior Showcase. Last season, Brandon, he racked up 17 and a half sacks in one season in Miami-Dade's district, which is probably one of the toughest and most toughest and most talented in the country. And in his biggest game of the year against Crosstown rival and state champion Columbus High, Brandon, he had five sacks in that game. Yeah, that is that is crazy. That performance won him the Miami Dolphins High School Player of the Week. Not surprising there, but he's a late bloomer. He went a lot on a lot of people's radars till last year, and he's going to have to add weight to play that Buck Dia position where they project him. He's two oh five now, Brandon, but I need to see him at two thirty two forty five to be a factor in the Big Ten there. But he's already 6'5", so he has to heighten athleticism to be a matchup issue across the defensive line. He has enough speed to be a factor in coverage if need be, but his specialty is rushing the passer, man. You cannot stop this kid once he gets going. And listen, his small size actually might play an advantage right now. So hear me out, Brandon. Once he adds size, 
he's going to be a problem because right now he's beating these big, bigger, stronger, more physical offensive linemen by just being meaner than them, speed, hand movement, and just bomb rushing these kids. And this is where he's really, really outweighed in a lot of situations. So once he adds that weight and he keeps that same motor, that same tenacity, that same energy, we could be looking at a first-round NFL pick one day. And that's how high I am on this kid. And that's a huge jump. But he he possesses such potential. And if I'm Scott Frost, I am ecstatic about this kid for my defense. And, you know, if you need hope as a Nebraska fan, I know we didn't offer y'all a lot of hope here. Um, you know, research this kid and remember his name because he's going to be a star and his effort to tenacity fits that culture change that Nebraska has been missing for a long time. You, you don't hear a lot of people saying like, man, like, you know, Nebraska, the, the players play hard. They never give up all this stuff. Like this kid is that type of player. And, um, for, for me, Brandon, I am super, super excited about this kid and, if y'all didn't, if you didn't watch this film, I know people listening didn't. You go find it because this, for me, Brandon, this kid is one of my favorite underrated prospects we've done. But to have five sacks against a state champion team, that doesn't yeah. even that doesn't even sound right. No, it it doesn't. I mean, I mean good on this kid, you know. But oh man, that's that is crazy. You, you still think I cheated though? Like that's wild. Oh, I do because he's he's their fifth. They have seventeen commits, and he's their fifth overall. So yeah, I think it's a little bit of cheat. But okay, would you not consider him overrated though? He's probably is overrated. Underrated, underrated. underrated. My bad. My bad. I also, I also meant underrated. But yeah, I mean, yeah, he he probably is. But I I don't know. That would kind of be like me if, if we did this last year, and I was like, yeah, I think Eric Gilbert's underrated because he probably is. And then, well, you're like, oh, Brandon, and, but, he's a five star. Uh, What's going on? He was he was the sixth ranked player in the country. How are you comparing that to a kid who's not even in the top 400? <laughs> I mean, he was one of LSU's top recruits. What do you what do you mean? He this is one of Nebraska's top recruits. I am this. You know, this is making me sick. I don't understand how you making just compared. You sick. Uh, I I don't understand how you just compared a player who was four hundred, uh, who's outside the top four hundred, to a player that was sixth overall in the entire class. Brandon, I think we're I think we're kind of changing the t- the subject here a little bit, Zach. I think we need to focus back more toward you a little bit and toward you cheating in this segment because that's that's bananas. Ah. Uh, you know this this make this this hurts my heart. This kid. So, Brandon, do you know what a uh, so like they don't have a pro comparison on two four seven? But I was reading about him in other articles. Like, do you know who he was compared to? Yeah. Randy Gregory. <laughs> Weird. Okay. I was like, r- really? Like that? That's that is <laughs> a pretty that's a pretty stout comparison. I would have to say. I mean, for someone who's still in the NFL. Uh, and you know, if he didn't have his personal problems, he probably would be a pro bowler, but yeah, so that's his pro that's, that's his pro comparison I could find. But listen, guys, that's a wrap on this episode. Um, listen, we got a big week coming this week. We got football. So we'll have another episode coming out later this week. We have the audible Wednesday guys, seven o'clock central time. 
more announcements be coming on that. We'll be going live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all that good stuff. So stay tuned for that. Make sure to tune in. We'll be answering y'all's questions live. We don't come with the script. We don't come with topics. We only answer what y'all ask us. So come out and get all your football info there. Um, you can find us on social media at the underscore blue bloods on Instagram at the underscore underscore blue bloods on Twitter at the blue bloods pod on Facebook, the blue blood CFB podcast on YouTube, the website, the blue bloods, blue bloods pod.com. You can find links to all the episodes there. All the articles are there. YouTube links are there. So go check that out, man. We appreciate all of y'all podcasts available everywhere. Y'all keep tuning in. Y'all keep subscribing. We're going to keep going with this. Y'all know how that goes. But for right now, we out.